0: fellowship this wait-and-see approach is really no strategy at all you see our strategy is we want to be the church and in order to gather we're going to have to go smaller and so that's where this idea of circles of six comes from we are asking you to ask this question of yourself this fall the, you the spiritual leaders of fellowship the, the core of fellowship the small group leaders of fellowship to ask yourself this question who is going to be in my circle this fall and as you ask that question we're going to give you some parameters or guidelines to to follow six people four commitments for four months it's as simple as that find six people commit to practicing these four commitments for four months so let's look at six people first Begin your group with six people. These can form out of your existing community group, or they could be a brand new group. The smaller size, it actually enables us to, to be able to meet physically, if possible, for as long as possible, and it leaves room for us to reach out to others. So. Who are your six gonna be? Your six could be simply breaking your community group up into smaller subgroups. So it could be uh, uh, the men meeting on one night of your community group and the women meeting on another night. Say you had 12 people in your group, it'd be a perfect breakup. Six men, six women. Or maybe your group's larger and you break into three subgroups, three circles of six. So you have uh, three couples meeting on a patio somewhere one night, and or maybe you have some couples and some singles meeting at a, a space provided at the church, maybe a covered area outdoors uh, another night. And then maybe you have a third group in your community group who, who don't feel comfortable gathering in person physically, and they could meet online in an online video conferencing format like Zoom or something like that. But the the important thing is that you're gathering. And and let me tell you what we're not saying. We're not saying it has to be six. It could be five. It could be seven or eight. The important thing is you're going small in order to gather and and leaving room in order to reach out to others. We want you to gather physically if at all possible this fall, and we're going to have to go smaller in order to gather. Hey, in addition to six people, we want you to make four commitments. The first commitment is a commitment to spiritual devotion. That we commit to regular study of God's Word and prayer together. We want you gathering together in your circle of six or seven or eight, and we want you studying the Scriptures together and praying together. The second commitment is that of Persistent gathering. We want you to commit to a consistent and safe gathering, whether in person or online or a combination of both, but we want you to gather together and to persevere as as challenges take place. We want you to gather together no matter what, either in person or online, and the key words are consistent and safe. We've all experienced cancellations, we've all experienced disruptions, and we want you gathering together. Third is a commitment to genuine care. For this season, we want you to love and care for one another. We want you to be the hands and feet of Jesus for this group of six people for this season. And then fourth, the fourth commitment is that of intentional impact. And what we mean by that is we want you to commit to making a difference through outreach and service, to to grow in size and adopt a cause, to ask these two questions. Who can we as a circle of six serve, and who can we invite? Six people, four commitments, and the last thing, commit to four months. Maintain a devotion to one another and to these commitments for the duration of four months, September through December. Fellowship, let's be the church this fall to Northwest Arkansas. Let's commit to going smaller in order to gather. Let's commit to this idea of circles of six so we can be the church.
1: Good morning and thank you for joining us for our services today. Uh, My name is Beth Davies and I first wanna give you a heads up that we will be observing communion at the end of the service today. So this is a good time for you to go and get the elements and get ready so we will all be able to join in taking the Lord's Supper together. Um, Hey, I have an announcement to bring you regarding our small group leaders training. If you are going to be leading a circle of six, a community group, a Bible study group, or even if you're thinking about leading, we are asking you to come here at live.fellowshiprogers.org tonight at seven o'clock. We wanna get you ready to go this semester um, for small groups. So we ask that you'll come, come a little bit early and you might get something extra fun to see as well. And then this is for you, ladies. We have um, September 25th, the Friday night, and September 26th, the Saturday morning, an event that is taking place all over Northwest Arkansas we are partnering with Fellowship Fayetteville and Fellowship Mosaic Women in putting on a porch retreat, which is going to be taking place um, in your backyards, on your porches, maybe inside if you're careful with that. You decide if you're hosting, but we are all gonna get together. We're going to have the opportunity to access a simulcast with some of your favorite Christian authors. And it's just gonna be a great time to unplug and connect and gather together in pursuing Christ. So make sure you get your kiddos taken care of Friday night, September 25th, Hunter's gonna be busy. You know what you're gonna be doing?
2: I would assume I'm not invited to that. Uh,
1: no, no, you're gonna be <laughs> okay. taking care and having special time with your children as ah, well yes, as yes. Saturday morning, right. the yeah. 26th. Listen, it's not an overnight, it's not a bunking party. Okay. I mean, Alex will come home.
2: That's and good. so
1: you'll be able to recover before that morning. So, That's yeah.
2: good. I need mom back. All right, well, hey, if you are new, and I honestly don't really know what that means in this season, but you probably haven't worshiped with us in person, and maybe this is one of your first times uh, streaming a service with us, would love for you to take out your phone. Uh, You can open your camera app and actually hold it up to the QR code that you'll see on the screen, which a QR code's like a little black and white fuzzy square, basically, and it magically directs you to a website, and it's really cool, and you can give us your information, and we'll have one of our pastoral staff contact you and help you and your family get connected in whatever way that looks like for you in this season, because we do have some groups meeting. We have opportunities to connect with other believers, so We'd love to help you in that. I want to let you know about some life change going on too. There's a lot happening uh, with our 7th through 12th graders. And so you will see Ethan Carlson here. Uh, and that's him with his sister and then another guy named Nate Wesley. And so Ethan is one of our 10th grade Bentonville boys. And a few months ago, he sat down outside of Ozark Bagel in downtown Bentonville and gave his life to Christ. He communicated for the first time, I actually want to follow Jesus. I've had all these questions, but I'm ready to go all in. So it was an incredible moment where we welcomed a new believer into our, our family of faith. And then Nate, praise God for Nate, who stepped up to say, hey, I want to start meeting with this kid. I want to meet with him weekly. And we're going to go through foundational elements of our faith and what it means to walk with Jesus. And so for the last couple months, that's been happening. And so uh, Ethan's going to be baptized here in probably the next couple weeks or months. And so we'll get to celebrate that together too. But as we go smaller as FSM... Uh, We're going to need a lot of prayer. You're going to see a lot more of these opportunities happening across Northwest Arkansas, but we need to pray. And so that's our last thing. It's probably the most important thing we communicate to you this morning is that we as a church body want to be a a body of believers that prays boldly to our God. And so our family uh, team here has put together some awesome resources. You can find them at fellowshiprogers.org under the family uh, resource section. And what they've done is put together a prayer guide for us. And so a week from today, and I know we've given you a lot of dates, but remember this one. A week from today, August 23rd, we're gonna invite all the Fellowship, not just families, but circles of six, uh, you and your roommates, whoever you can safely gather with to hop in a car and to drive around your community and pray over a couple of different things. There's a guide that you can find uh, on the website that I talked about that'll take you to different places, schools, neighborhoods, uh, medical facilities, that kind of thing. And we as a church are gonna be praying together. So how cool is it gonna be to see thousands of cars across Northwest Arkansas driving around that night before school starts and praying over our communities. And so uh, in this uncertain season, we gotta remember that we're praying to a very certain God who certainly loves us and cares for it. So I need prayer. We're about to send our oldest to kindergarten for the first time, uh, and so I'm feeling it.
1: Yes, well, let's do just that. Let's pray, Um, we have a lot to lift up. So Lord, we come to you um, this morning and we give thanks for all the opportunities that you are putting before us. Oh Lord, help us respond and for the services today. Um, Lord, we lift them up, and, and I ask right now that you'll remove distractions, fears uh, from our viewers, that you will just help us all to plug in um, and listen to what you would speak to us. And so, uh, Lord, ultimately, we ask that you be glorified through all of these things and in our time together this morning. We give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
3: We're here.
4: up your voice wherever you're at let's sing
5: and i will sing of all you've done and i'll remember how far you came
4: As we continue to worship this morning and set our eyes onto Jesus, I wanna point our attention to his words from the Sermon on the Mount. Listen carefully to how Jesus describes what a blessing is. Hear these words. The poor in spirit are blessed, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Those who mourn are blessed, for they will be comforted. The gentle are blessed for they will inherit the earth. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed, for they will be filled. The merciful are blessed, for they will be shown mercy. The pure in heart are blessed, for they will see God. The peacemakers are blessed, for they will be called the sons of God. And I want you to hear this. Those who are persecuted for righteousness are blessed. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And Jesus' words here are so countercultural to what our world would normally say a blessing is. A blessing is so much more than money, so much more than a big house, and so much more than fame. A blessing is learning to live in life with Jesus, learning to be in that communion with Him. Even in the midst of your trials, in the midst of your hard times, in the midst of your persecution, that is what a true blessing is. And this morning, we'll learn about how the church persevered through times of persecution. And I wanna encourage you, as we worship together this morning, in the midst of all of the craziness that is going on right now in our world. We get the privilege to sing to a God who is bringing forth a brand new kingdom, a God that offers way more beyond anything this world could ever offer, amen? The gospel of Jesus brings peace, joy, love, and a correct biblical view of blessings. And it's because of that that we trust, we sing, and we worship our God this morning.
5: believe that for we trust you're working for our good you're working for our good and for your glory your plans are still to prosper You've not forgotten us you with us in the fire in the flood your faith
4: This morning, we get to continue in our worship as we practice communion with each other. Even as we're spread out, we still get to commune with one another with God. So I'll give you a moment to gather your elements. And Jesus took the bread and broke it, he said, this is my body. Would you eat this in remembrance of me? Then after that, Jesus took the wine. He said, this is my blood. Would you drink this in remembrance of me? God, we're grateful for you. God, we lift you high this morning. Lord, Thank you for being a God who stepped down from his throne into flesh and dwelled among his people so that we can know you, so that we can know you better. Jesus, thank you for this church. Lord, we pray that as we learn about you, persecution and what it's like to be a believer in the midst of that, that you would give us vision. God, give us vision. We pray these things in your name,
5: amen.
6: Fellowship, join me as we read through Acts 11, 19 through 30. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news of the Lord Jesus the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood and through the Holy Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for their brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul.
7: You know, disruptions, they have a way of leaving us disoriented, confused, anxious, and and even depressed. They they take away our sense of security, our, our sense of what's normal, of what's safe. The rhythms of life that we rely on begin to disappear and break down. And at the same time, disruptions can kind of be fun sometimes. Like, I don't know, kids, if you have this experience, but I remember when I was growing up, my favorite disruption would come around January or February when it'd be the evening on a school night, and I would see the snow start to fall, and I would wonder, could it really happen and we'd always do the same thing. We'd, we'd turn on the news that night and we'd watch the little blue bar across the bottom of the screen. And, and, and it would start at the beginning of the alphabet and cycle through the school systems. And I would just wait with anticipation for those magic words Springdale schools closed. And this disruption to, to my routine meant space and freedom. And it wasn't until much later in life that I learned that teachers actually kind of like the disruption of a snow day too. Sometimes a disruption, um, while disorienting, can also bring space to make memories. Even as big a disruption as an ice storm in 2009 that left all of northwest Arkansas in the dark for a week. While it was so difficult in so many ways, the big memory I have is my extended family all gathering in my parents' house with no power. And filling the living room floor with mattresses so we could all sleep near the fire, and and I have great memories of that time. One of the most significant disruptions that we had as a family uh, it came in 2010. My sister was seven months pregnant uh, with her second child. We were excited to to see our niece come into the world, and one night uh, she woke up with an intense stabbing pain in her chest, having difficulty breathing, said she felt like she was having a heart attack, which did not make any sense for a seemingly healthy 20-year-old woman, or a woman in her 20s. And so she went to the ER, and they took a scan, and they found that she had a pulmonary embolism, a blood clot in her lungs, that had a serious risk of killing her. They put her in in an ambulance, rushed her down to UAMS in Little Rock, and when they got there, they said, you have to stay here for the rest of your pregnancy. You have to be on total bed rest. We're gonna have to monitor you. This is really serious. And so for six weeks, with fear that at any moment this clot could break loose and kill her, my sister had to sit and wait. This came right as the holidays were starting, right in November. And it it was a huge disruption for our family filled with fear and anxiety. But looking back now, celebrating the health of my sister and my nine-year-old niece who's a beautiful part of our family. The biggest memory that we all talk about from that time is not the fear, it's not the anxiety, but it's the time we spent together in that hospital. I remember one day that I went down and just spent the day sitting with my sister so she wouldn't be alone. I remember the conversations we had as, as people who were adjusting to adulthood and, and we process for the first time together the, the struggles and the fears that we experienced. And it was like in that day in the hospital room, our sibling relationship transferred, uh, transitioned from a childhood sibling relationship to an adult sibling relationship. And we learned what it was like to be there for each other as adults. I remember that Thanksgiving as my family um, crowded into the UAMS cafeteria, hospital cafeteria, and had the least glamorous Thanksgiving meal we've ever had. And yet we look back and go, it was one of the sweetest. But we spent that Thanksgiving week in Little Rock, thanks to um, my sister's old cell group leader, Dell and Chelsea Slonik- Sloniker, opening their house up to us and say, hey, why don't y'all take our house for the Thanksgiving holiday? I remember that Black Friday at 5 a.m., my wife Cassie and my little sister Mary getting up and going out to Black Friday shop and do family Christmas shopping in Little Rock. This season of disruption in an odd way created an opportunity for us to connect as a family. Hey, I want to tell you a story of a church that was disrupted. It was a church that, in its early days, things seemed magical. They would gather in large groups for worship and teaching. And then, throughout the week, they'd break up into homes and small groups to, to enjoy life together. They were devoted to the scriptures and they loved hearing the word of God and they loved praying together. They enjoyed living life together. And it was amazing. Like, they kept growing by the hundreds, even by the thousands and they saw the the hand of the Lord moving. This was like a glorious period in this church's history. And then all of that changed. A disruption came along, and they could no longer gather in their big house of worship. They could no longer all gather to hear the teaching of the teachers that they sat under, to pray the prayers and the songs that they loved to sing together. They were scattered, and something significant was lost. And I'm not talking about fellowship. Bible church in 2020. I'm talking about the church in Jerusalem in the first century. We're gonna take a look at that story of that disruption and the opportunities that came out of that in Acts chapter 11. So if you want to turn to Acts chapter 11, let's do that. I'm gonna warn you right now, I'm told that I'm supposed to stand right here. So I stay in camera and uh, standing in one spot is not a spiritual gift of mine. So there is a high likelihood that at some point during the sermon, I will wander off camera, don't panic, I'll be back. Um, So Acts chapter 11, verse 19, we read about this disruption and what brought it about. In Acts 11:19, 19, we read, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. You see, the, the disruption that split the church up, that spread them out, was not a pandemic. It was the murder of one of the church leaders in Jerusalem. And this murder had significance because it changed the nature of how the church was going to work from then going forward. You see, when the church got started, we read in Acts chapter 2 that they had a pattern of what they did. We read that every day they were meeting together in the temple courts. And they broke bread in their homes, and they were praising God and growing and enjoying his fellowship. Notice the pattern, meeting in the temple courts and breaking bread in homes. You see, when the church first got started, Judaism, the Jewish faith, and the Christian faith were not seen as two separate things. What you had were faithful Jewish people who believed they had found their Messiah, who had found their king, their hero, their savior. And so they kept being good, faithful Jewish worshipers. They went to the temple. They they went to have prayer in Jerusalem. And they were alongside other Jews being faithful Jewish people, but with faith in their Messiah. So here's how that would look. The the temple, you can take a look at a model here of the the first century temple. And by the way, this model comes from the Israel Museum in Jerusalem. Uh, My my wife and I got the opportunity to go there last year and see it. It's an incredible experience. And side note, I just want to let you know, I know it might sound kind of weird to be thinking about a trip right now, but November of 2021, uh, my wife Cassie and I are going to be leading another study trip to Israel. And it is an incredible experience to put historical flesh on these stories, uh, to walk in the places they happened, to read the scriptures, where they took place. And so, It might seem far out, but the trip is already about 25% full. We would love for you to join us. It's an incredible opportunity, and and we're we're signing up now. So if you're interested in joining us for an Israel study tour in 2021, uh, email Israel at fellowshipnwa.org. We'd love for you to come and study with us. And so this, this model of the temple that you can see there shows what this site would have looked like. It's a one and a half million square foot slab, uh, surface there, slabs aren't right, but a surface that this entire site was built on, making it the largest construction site in ancient Rome. And in the middle of that temple platform is the temple itself. And this temple site, the this box you see in the middle, was set aside for the sacrifices, for, for the sacrifices prescribed in Torah and the Jewish law. But you'll see there's these wide spaces outside. The section we have highlighted here, this is what it refers to when it talks about the temple courts. This was the open space that would have had people coming and going, and that area was set aside for prayer and worship. And teaching, rabbis would set up in the temple courts and explain and teach the scriptures to the people. In Luke chapter two, when we read that the young boy Jesus was found in the temple courts, learning and questioning the rabbis, this is probably where he was, sitting in this wide open space here. And that wide open space, if you think about our worship center on Pleasant Grove Road in Rogers, it is about 140th the size of that little highlighted area. You could fit 40 of our worship centers in that area. It's a huge space, and we read that what they would do is the apostles would go to the temple courts, they'd stand there on one of the porches, and they'd tell people about Jesus, and crowds would gather and they'd hear great preaching about the good news of Jesus, and they'd pray together and they'd celebrate and it was all a part of the normal Jewish life of what was happening until Stephen was killed. and at that moment, it became clear that when the temple authorities, the people in charge of that temple murdered the Christian leader, Stephen, that the rupture between the temple and the church had begun. And they were scattered. And those glory days of everybody gathering at the temple to hear the apostles preach, it seemed like they were coming to an end. And the church was forced out. And I think we have to imagine that was a loss. Like that had to have been a deep grief. If In the early days of following Jesus, you got to experience that. But what we'll see happen as a result of this scattering, of this disruption, is that five significant opportunities for growth emerge. And so we're gonna walk through those five things that happened as a result of the scattering. And I want us to think through the question of how do we see these same opportunities today for our church in this season of disruption? One of my favorite profs, um, he would always say that what God has done in the past is both a pattern and a promise for what he'll do in the future. But he's too creative to do the same thing the same way twice. So we're gonna see some patterns here that are probably similar for today, but God's gonna be creative enough to do it in slightly different ways. So the first opportunity that we see emerge in the season of disruption for the church is the opportunity for new evangelism. You see, we read that they were scattered as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, and they began spreading the word only among the Jews at first. Verse 20, some of them, however, Men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Okay, so now, up to this point, we have the story of one family, one Gentile, non-Jewish family coming to faith in Christ. But what we now start having is this experience as they are forced away from Jerusalem, the followers of Jesus continue to talk about Jesus. And now they come to the city called Antioch. Now Antioch sounds a lot to me like Northwest Arkansas. It's an area of commerce. It's an area where a lot of things are happening. Roads are meeting. Uh, People are coming together. It's the third largest city in the Roman Empire. They think it was around a half a million people. Sound familiar? And about 25,000 of those half million would have been Jews. So a large number of people in the city are non-Jewish people who don't know the God of Israel. And so when these Jewish followers of Jesus move to Antioch and they start talking about their faith, suddenly they're talking to non-Jewish people. And the good news about Jesus starts to break out of the circle it had been in. Something that had been a Jewish movement suddenly spills beyond the borders of Judaism. And that makes perfect sense, right? Because when the preaching of the gospel was happening in the temple courts, who was hearing the good news about Jesus? People who frequented the Jewish courts, right? The temple courts. The people who are coming to pray and worship in the temple would have been already faithful followers of Yahweh, of the Jewish faith. Hey, guess what? We love it when people come to worship at Pleasant Grove Road who don't know Jesus. We love the stories when somebody walks in those doors, hears the the gospel preached, the Bible preached, and then they come to faith in Jesus. We love those stories, but guess what? There are a lot of people in Northwest Arkansas who are not coming to church even before a pandemic. I would guess the majority of lost people in Northwest Arkansas, this seems like an obvious observation, the majority of lost people in Northwest Arkansas aren't going to church on Sunday morning which means if they're going to hear about Jesus, it's going to have to happen by some other method than a large group worship service. And that's what we saw happen here. Because the church scattered, because they weren't just clustered in the temple courts in Jerusalem anymore, there were new opportunities for people to hear about Jesus. One of the things that I've noticed in my own personal life in this season is while so much of my life has been restricted, Uh, So many of the places I used to go, the people I used to see aren't happening. I have looked up and down my street and realized the opportunities that I've been missing in my own neighborhood. I've always had this idealistic idea that I'd reach out to my neighbors and the busyness of life has always cut it out. The first thing that was really neat to happen was my believing neighbors, people here at Fellowship. I started having time to connect with them. Early on in the pandemic, when we weren't seeing anybody, our next door neighbor had the idea, hey, what if we took lawn chairs out into our yard and brought our meals, and had dinner from one yard to the other yard. And it was our first like dinner with someone else during quarantine. And we began to build relationships, and suddenly I recognized that there's the believers on our street we can care for, but then there's a lot of people on our street who don't know Jesus. And can I tell you one of the best doorways to getting to know those people? Kids, I want you to listen up. parent Kids, your parents need your help meeting your neighbors. Here's a secret your parents are very likely scared of meeting new people. And even if as a child you feel, or a teenager or a student, you feel like you're kind of shy, you are actually an expert at meeting new people. Because every year when school starts, you get thrown into a room with some people you know and some people you don't know. And you have to learn to get to know them for the year. What I have noticed is my daughter knows the kids on our street much better than I know the adults on our street. So here's an idea for you, families. Let your kids be the ambassador. Let your kids introduce you to the people on the street. Get to know your neighbors. This is an incredible opportunity to take the good news of Jesus to the people in your own neighborhoods, in your own streets, that aren't showing up to church on Sunday morning, who aren't connected anywhere. Because guess what? On a normal Sunday morning, when you were driving to church, they were staying home. But now, Y'all are all home together on Sunday mornings. And it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for you to reach out where you didn't used to. And so the first thing we want to talk about is what are the new doors for evangelism that this season opens up for, for, to tell people about Jesus who wouldn't normally hear about it as we're scattered and doing church in our neighborhoods rather than at a building. The second opportunity that comes in this disruption is a new opportunity for leadership. Check this out. When, when this outbreak of evangelism happens, We read in verse 22, news of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Think about that. Up until this point, all of the major movements of the church were centered in Jerusalem. The leaders there, Peter, James, and John, those guys are all on the tip of the spear. They're the ones who are leading the movements. Now they're hearing about the movement. What does that mean? Someone new is leading the movement. Now, as long as they all stayed together, sitting every week under the preaching of James and Peter and John, do you think anybody else is gonna speak up and start telling people about Jesus? Why would they? I wouldn't. If I'm sitting there in a worship gathering and Peter's going, hey, let me tell you about what happened when Jesus called me to walk on the water. You think I'm gonna raise my hand and go, hey, Peter, I got a Jesus story. No, I'm not gonna interrupt the guy. If I'm sitting there in a large group with Peter telling people about Jesus, I'm keeping my mouth shut and letting Peter talk. But suddenly, when they're scattered and there's no Peter in their room, there's no John in the room, there's no James, the unnamed believers, we don't get the names of any of the people leading this movement in Antioch. The, The leaders that hadn't been leading before suddenly have to become the tip of the spear evangelists. There's an opportunity for new leadership to emerge in this new church. And we see that even further. In verse 25, it says, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. Now, the story of this man named Saul, who's going to become known as Paul, one of the leading evangelists, church planters, apostles in the early church, we're just getting Paul's story getting started at this point in the book of Acts. What's happened is Saul was this Jewish up-and-coming leader who was attacking and persecuting the church. And then he met Jesus, Jesus on the road to Damascus and it changed his life. Suddenly he went from attacking the church to telling the good news about Jesus. But Paul's ministry actually got off to a kind of rocky start. You know, at first when he starts meeting other believers and he, he, they, they don't trust him, they think he's a spy. They think he's trying to out them and bring persecution. And then when they finally accept him, he starts preaching, his old Pharisee buddies turn on him. And you know what has to happen? The believers say, we got to get Paul out of Jerusalem. This isn't going well. He's going to get himself killed. And they send him back to his hometown of Tarsus. Now, we can read over that story really quickly and leave the emotion out of it. But think about that experience. Paul is a real human being. He has a life-change experience for Jesus. He's excited to tell people about Jesus. And his first couple experiences are kind of flops. And eventually, the leadership in Jerusalem says, Hey, Paul, we probably just need to send you back to your old hometown, buddy. And suddenly, Barnabas is looking around at this new growing church that doesn't have Peter, John, and James and these leaders there to instruct them. And he goes, this is an opportunity for Paul to lead. So he goes and he finds Paul back in Tarsus in his hometown and says, Paul, I've got an opportunity for you. You need to come to Antioch. And suddenly, there is space for Paul to start preaching and teaching in the church. I don't know for sure, but if we don't have this disruption that scatters the church, I don't know if the space for Paul to emerge as a leader is there. But suddenly, in this new church at Antioch, Paul has room to start leading and teaching. Hey, guys, in this season of disruption, the leadership opportunities are multiplying like crazy. Fellowship has got to learn to get smaller, smaller small groups, more local. This has always been part of our vision. It's always what we wanted to do is multiply groups, but it's really hard to do it. When things are going great and you got a small group of 30 people who all love each other, it's terrifying to think about multiplying that group. Especially when multiplying that group means somebody stepping up and leading who hasn't been leading. But this series of disruption, as we look at a strategy that says circles of six, means a community group that got as big as 30 now has to meet in five different groups. Which means there are open places for people to lead. There are open places for people to step up, start using their gifts to invest in others. It's an incredible opportunity for our mission and vision to be fulfilled. This is not hamper our mission and vision. This is actually an opportunity for our mission and vision to produce and release spiritual leaders to thrive. So I want you to think about like, where is there a place for you to grow in investing in others in the local church? So there's opportunities for evangelism, there's opportunities for leadership to grow, and then there's an incredibly, incredible new need for training and equipping. If you've got a, a group full of new believers who are suddenly asked to become the tip of the spear evangelist, suddenly asked to lead, guess what? They need to be equipped. They need to be trained. That's exactly what happens. We go back to Paul and we say that when Barnabas found Paul, he brought him to Antioch. And so for a whole year... Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. Uh, During this year season, I I can't imagine what what an exciting time that would have been. Because you have this new group of leaders, this new church starting in Antioch, Barnabas and Saul or Paul realized we need to invest deeply in growing these leaders in maturity. And so they spent a year teaching and training them. Hey guys, This season where things are so chaotic is an incredible opportunity to grow, to get trained and equipped, which is, by the way, what the training center is here to do. I want to tell you about a couple of opportunities that you can take this fall to get trained in greater depth in your way of handling the scriptures, to be prepared to be a spiritual leader in Northwest Arkansas and the world. The first is just through our clarity study of 1 Thessalonians. All of our groups, we're gonna be going through 1 Thessalonians, one of Paul's letters this fall. And what the training center is gonna do is we're gonna create a weekly series of videos, short little 15-minute videos based on our class, Personal Bible Study. And what those videos are gonna do is they're gonna teach you how to study the scriptures for yourself. So here's the challenge we wanna give. You don't even have to sign up for this one. It's gonna be on the resources section of our page. Each week before group, watch the 15-minute video on how to study your Bible, and then go do that method of study on that week's passage in 1 Thessalonians and come to group having studied 1 Thessalonians. If you do that, at the end of the 12 weeks, you will have been given a training center class on personal Bible study methods. I would love to see our entire congregation get equipped this fall on how to study the Scriptures. We're also going to have a live stream panorama class where we're going to sit through video, and work through Panorama of the Bible. And we're gonna have online classes that are self-paced where you can watch videos, do discussions with other people in the online class. We've got those on Panorama of the Bible, a survey of the Bible, uh, theology, we believe, which is a study of big Christian beliefs and topics, personal Bible study, and financial stewardship. All those classes are online and available for you to jump in on in this season. If you want to know more about it, you can can always email me, or you can go to trainingcenternwa.org. This is a great season to get trained, to get equipped. If you feel intimidated by leadership because you think, I'm not prepared for that, we have an answer. We want to help you get prepared. That's what the church exists to do. The next thing that comes up is a new door for generosity. As we read Further on down, we read that there is a famine that broke out across the Roman world in this time. Agabus told them about it. And the church's response to this famine, we find in verse 29, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. See, the other thing that disruption does is it creates need. It creates a lot of need. And man, do we have need in Northwest Arkansas. When schools get canceled, a primary source of food goes away for a lot of kids. When businesses shut down, employment stops. Funds stop to be able to pay rent. Neighbors are hurting And while it's so difficult and so painful, it's also an opportunity for us to grow in generosity and be the hands and feet of Jesus in northwest Arkansas and to regions around us. So I would encourage you to think through, what's an opportunity for me to be generous in this season, in my neighborhood, in my apartment complex, in my office? There's an incredible opportunity for the church to be generous. One way you can point to it that I know we've already mentioned before is Samaritan Community Center is a great place helping to meet the needs of people in northwest Arkansas, and it's a great partnership we have. There's an opportunity for generosity, but the last thing I want to point to requires that we skip ahead to chapter 13. You see, the story of the church at Antioch doesn't stop in chapter 11. When we go back to Antioch in chapter 13, here's what we find. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Mananin, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed hands on them and sent them off. Antioch becomes the first missionary sending church of the movement of Christ. The first church to say, hey, we're actually going to intentionally take some of our leaders and send them to another place where people don't know the good news of Jesus so that the gospel can break into new cities so that churches can be started. That's a disruption by choice to say I'm gonna leave what I know, what's familiar and go somewhere else. The disruption that they didn't choose, the persecution that scattered them, gave them the tools, the perseverance, and the faith they needed to embrace a disruption by choice. They had to learn to scatter by being scattered before they could scatter by choice. And this church at Antioch, through the rest of the book of Acts, becomes the support center for the missionary movement that's going to take the gospel to the rest of the Roman world. So ultimately, disruptions are gonna grow our capacity for sending and multiplying going forward. Guys, this season of disruption, it might feel incredibly limiting. You might feel like everything's put on stop, but I'm convinced that a God who works all things for good has incredible things he wants to do in our church in this season. Because often major disruptions open the door for new ministry. At fellowship, we've often described what this church is through the lens of, of three metaphors. We've said that fellowship is like a greenhouse. It's a place for new life to happen, for people who have been broken and hurting to come and heal and grow. We've also said it's a training center. It's a place to equip people, to live out their faith, to to serve in ministry in the place God's called them to, and it's a launching pad. It's a place to send people into new areas of ministry. We see all of those happening in the church at Antioch, and our desire is to see all of them happening here at fellowship but this is not something that we're gonna do by our own might and strength. The undercurrent of all of this is the Holy Spirit moving in the hearts of the people of God. So here's the question I want us to wrestle with today. When we finish this service, I don't want you to hit stop, close your computer, turn off your TV and walk away. I want you to just pause for a minute with whomever you're watching this service with. If it's with your roommates in your apartment, if it's with your family, if it's with your small group, give yourself 10 minutes to slow down and ask these questions. We're gonna leave them on the screen after we're done. Ask each other, hey, what new opportunities have opened up for you to reach out in love and evangelism to those around you, both in generosity to meet needs and to bring the good news of the gospel to people who don't have it? Where are there new doors and and what would it look like for you to walk through them? Secondly, what new opportunities have opened up for you to lead in ways that you haven't led before, for you to have spiritual influence in the life of others because needs have grown in the season of disruption? And then finally, how can you use this season to grow, to be equipped, to be trained for what God has for you? How can we flip the script on this season of disruption from limiting the church to being an opportunity for us to fulfill God's call on our life in a brand new and exciting way? That's what I'm praying. That's the conversation my family's having. And I pray it's the conversation that you'll be having as well. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the truth that we sang over that you're sovereign over us. You're sovereign over everything that happens. Even disruptions that are frustrating and confusing and disorienting, you're gonna use for good. We, we can claim that by faith. You've promised you're gonna do that. We don't know exactly how you're gonna do it, but God, I pray that you'll give us faithfulness, courage, and the Holy Spirit's leading to be the church in the season of disruption we find ourselves in. Show us how you want us to serve, how you want us to reach out, how you want us to lead, and how you want us to grow. We love you. We pray things in Jesus' name. Amen.